Well, bless you. Those are here that are in the room, those of you that are online, bless you. I believe that God wants to establish something like we see in ancient Egypt, in Goshen, where the Jews in Goshen were covered, they were protected. There is a place of refuge in this world. And God is trying to train a company of people to come under that refuge, but not only just come under it, but create it for those who don't know it. So I want you, as you begin to worship, that we realize that we are pulling on heaven to come down so that people can come to their senses, so that people can be freed from the biting tyranny, the torment of fear, the torment of depression, the heaviness of darkness that's all around us. If you're here today and you're experiencing something negative at all, pain in your body, emotional turmoil, tormenting fear, I'm telling you that God has deliverance for you. And we declare in Jesus' name that this house is a house of refuge, that this room is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we say, let every stronghold be broken. Let every power of darkness flee from this place in Jesus' name. We say, let the shadow of the Almighty come over Community Church. And not only this church, but this, in, this entire county and city in Jesus' name. Father, we say we stand in the gap. We stand in the gap for this land, for this city. We say, let your glory come. Let the knowledge of God be poured out. Lord, you are a refuge, a strong tower. Let's bless him. Let's release our faith. Let's pull on heaven. Amen. Come on, let's just lean into the presence of the Lord. We may not be able to see it right now, but there is a divine supply. It's like when the servant of the prophet saw themselves surrounded. That's what this song is referring to. There are more that are with us than are against us. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, we are asking for Parkland County, for Spruce Grove, Father, for this church, that you would impart to us the armies of heaven, that, Father, you would release to us a dispensation of angelic presence, Father, that would see a beachhead of the kingdom of God established according to your counsel, according to the prophetic words which you have spoken over this house for the last 40 years. We say, Lord, make it so. Make it so. In Jesus' name, make it so. Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's keep leaning in. So, Father, we declare this morning in Jesus' name that you are the way, the truth, and the life.
And we believe today, Father, that you have put something in every believer, in every one of you. If you're looking online or you're here in the room, I pray today that you will get another glimpse of the power that is already at work inside of you. You know, Paul says in his apostolic prayer, he says, I'm praying that you would see the power of resurrection that's already inside of you. Now, if the power that, very, that pushed back the hordes of darkness, the very gates of hell that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you, let me ask you this question. Is there something yet for you to discover about that? Do you think you are living in the full wake of what is available, or is there more yet hidden to you? I, I think there's more, right? So, Father, we pray today, show us. Show us, Father, what's undiscovered by us as yet. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for the kingdom. Father, thank you that you are establishing a kingdom. And that it's your good pleasure, Father, to release to us everything necessary for life and godliness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pull on the Lord just for a second. Sometimes when we move from worship to the Word, we, we throw away our spirits and put on our thinking caps. I don't want you to put on your thinking caps. I want you to put on your knowing cap. You're not, the knowledge comes to your spirit, not to your mind. Father, in Jesus' name, you know in your knower. You know in your spirit. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Father, for the power of resurrection. The power that is in your word. God, we don't want men's ideas. I don't want my thoughts. I don't want my opinions. We don't want man's agenda. Father, we want you. Oh, God, bring a word that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on something today. I'm going to tie a few things together, and hopefully it makes some sense. I've entitled this message, Overcoming a Political Spirit. Overcoming a Political Spirit. I actually was all week planning on speaking on something else, but I felt like, like these, there's two themes that are almost touching each other. I'm going to touch on the other one, but I want to focus on this, because we are learning to overcome. We are learning to overcome. And there's this great promise in Revelations 3 where it said, To those who overcome, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, I'm not going to focus on what the significance of that promise is, but it's more than what you know. It's more than what we know. He goes on to say, And you will go out no more. Let me just throw this teaser in there because I love this. Intimacy is the reward of faith. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is the manifestation of ascension. It is the manifestation of growth. It is the manifestation of maturity. 
And we're going to touch on that today. But maturity can be expressed in this, your ability to be intimate with God and stay intimate. And it's played out in the realm of the natural. It's played out in the realm of our relationships down here. Because, and here's the, I know I'm getting ahead of myself already. But here, here's what happens is people say, and I see this all the time, right? All through church history, but today as well. You see people who say, well, you know, I got no problem with God. It's just his people. Right? Me and God are super tight. Me and God are really close, but, you know, I'm just not a people person, or I just can't handle the hypocrisy of the people who say they're Christians, or, or it's just the defects that are in people keep me from wanting to go to church or be a part of fellowship. Let me tell you, the one is a barometer of the other. Hello. And that's what John was saying in 1 John. The whole book is all about this. Say, listen, you that say that you love God and hate his, hate his kids, you're a liar. You're a liar. You can't love God and not love his kids. In other words, the amount that you love God is reflected in how much you can love his kids. Yeah, but his kids are annoying. Let me tell you, God is even more annoying you want, to t- t- you want to talk about somebody who's, who's heavy? Uh-huh. The glory of God is heavy. The personality of God is intrusive. The word of God uncovers, it strips, it makes naked, it exposes. You say, well, I don't like people because, you know, they rub me the wrong way and then the worst part of me steps out. Let me tell you, the worst part of you is always going to be there. And when other people expose it, it's your opportunity to see it's there. And God will do that more so than the irritable neighbor. So you can't say, oh, God I love, but his people, well, you know, they have all these problems. And do we have problems? Yes, more than you know. Right? So, but here's the issue. Is the kingdom of God and the victory of the kingdom of heaven is going to be manifested through a people who can stay connected with one another. The ultimate manifestation of victory is cohesion. The ability to stay with your brother. Now, if you see these pictures in the Old Testament, one of the things you see is you, when the armies come up, when you see this in typical battle, is the one that scatters first is the one that loses Let me throw this. The one that wins is the one that doesn't scatter. But isn't scattering a manifestation of defeat? Yes, because they can't stay together. In the kingdom of heaven, and this is the truth, and we've touched on this, and we know about this, and we've talked about it, but the prevailing significance of it, I think, is lost on us. But this is what... This is, you know, Psalm 133, and you know the psalm. He says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. There is a power manifested when people have the ability to stay together. Why is that? Because the commodities necessary to stay in cohesive uh, link with uh, your neighbor, your brother, your sister is based on humility. 
humility, love, right? Think of all the attributes of love. All of those things are handy in any relationship, right? When you want to depart from a relationship, it says, well, love is, love is what? Long-suffering. So in other words, endure longer. Put up with it more. Love is kind, love is gentle. Love does not, right, think of its own. It's not, it's not, it doesn't parade itself. It's not self-centered. It's, it's there. All of those attributes, funny enough, lend themselves to relationship. The longevity of intimate relationship is predicated upon the ability to love. And so is there any justification that says, well, these people, these Christians who do this and don't do that and do that and the one that wears masks and the one that don't wears masks and the one that parks in my spot and the ones that always come late and the ones that, that's too evil for me to love. Can you see the shallowness of that argument? (laughs) Well, what is God doing? He is perfecting love in us. He is perfecting a capacity in you for relationship because he is trying to bond us together because he knows that in in that unity, in that commitment, in that covenant, he is able to infuse his himself in the midst of it. God is the most explosive power. He is the most... Uh, caustic substance in the earth. Radiation doesn't hold a candle to the glory of the Lord when it's manifested. And what God is looking for is, is there a container? Is there a bowl? Is there a, is there a, a structure that can hold me? So he says, well, here, let's see. Oh, you guys are... Oh, we're, you're in unity? Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. That's super. You, you, you want my glory? Oh, you want my glory? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour my glory out on you. Well, let's see if you can sustain unity under something a little bit less heavy. All right? You want the heaviest substance possible to come in the midst of you as a test of your cohesion? Let's don't overestimate your capacity. Let's try and see if you can handle maybe a larger personality. (laughs) Right? Because if you can't handle a larger personality, you can't handle the kabod, the glory, the weightiness of God. It is my intention, says the Lord. To fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is is my intention to pour out my presence. But I'm looking for a wineskin. I'm looking for a structure that can hold my presence without it exploding in multiple directions. So, you see this dichotomy of those that can stay in cohesive unity and those that scatter. We see that in the Old Testament. When there are battles, right? When there are battles, the enemy that loses goes, you know, he scatters. I heard a great teaching some years ago about the lightnings of God. It talks about your enemy, you know, when when lightning hits, it's explosive. And what happens when there's an explosion? 
right? Things go different directions, right? You, anybody ever seen a movie? At least nod, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Explosion, things go different ways. He says, your enemy will come up against you one way and will flee seven ways. That's a promise of scattering because somebody's going to scatter and somebody's going to stay united. And either the enemy is scattering or the enemy is united and the church is scattering. Every spiritual clash results in a scattering and a cohesion. The question is, which one are we going to be? And so the training, you can summarize all the training. Yes, it's love. Yes, it's humility. Yes, it's worship. Yes, it's these things. But it's unto this. Can you stay undivided? Can you be indivisible? That's the question. That's the test. That's, that's the training. Well, I don't know, brother. You've never been married to the woman I'm married to. I don't know. You, you know, uh, that person over there in my town, in that church, there's some really annoying people in my church. Anyway, a lot of dynamics here. So overcoming a political spirit. Why a political spirit? Well, I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But let me just I'll, I'll throw it out, just, just so you're not asking the question. A political spirit is a spirit that leverages tension to create division. A political spirit, it's not about Republicans and Democrats. That political environment is a one manifestation of a political struggle. Every political struggle is, is just simply this, two opinions. In a marriage, when there's an argument, and uh, the friends come over, and the husband and wife are there, it's like, we'll ask Jane and Peter. Let's talk to Jane and Peter. So Jane and Peter come over, and the, and the wife, before they even get in, it's like, it's like, you know, dropping little hints of, yeah, boy, you know, it's nice if you had, uh, you know, a husband who cared, Right? What is she doing? She's being political. She's already trying to to get her on my side. And the man says, here, let me take your coat. Us men need to stick together. Because, you know, women are, they're kind of emotional. You know, but it's a good thing that we bear with them. Right? All of the, whenever there is dissent, whenever there is one or two or three more camps, there is an effort to get people alongside to agree with you because that lends credence to your position. And that is being political. So a political spirit comes in looks for possible places where it can create a point of division between uh, in a group and create two groups or three groups or four groups. If that spirit succeeds in doing that, the battle is already won. So what we need to do is grow in our discernment on how to understand or discern or realize and silence divisive forces. The ability to stay married. 
This ability to stay at a job, the ability to stay in a church, the ability to stay in relationship with friends is predicated upon your ability to love, to forgive, to endure, to be patient, to be kind, to be humble. Anyway, so with so many avenues to go down there, so many things, important things. But basically, we are being made into the image of God. God is joining us to him. And he's saying, listen, as I am indivisible, I want my body be, to be indivisible. And what I'm training you in and how I measure your maturity is the capacity to do this. Now, let me read the scripture, Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6. Paul says this, he says, and, and we could say this, that the, the theology of the book of Ephesians is the most advanced theology in the, in the New Testament. The things that gets covered uh, in that book are just, I mean, they're really not covered anywhere else. It's, a, it's an amazing insight into the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians is. But this is what he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. Hmm, sound familiar? Bearing with one another in love. What? Love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, let me talk about this on a basic level. I had a friend some years ago. He's a very close friend now. You know who he is, and I probably won't mention his name. But I won't. Anyway, when he first became a Christian, he was super annoying, super abrasive. He is one of these fat-souled people. And, you know, I, I don't know if I could explain that right now. It's a whole teaching. But he, you know, everything he did seemed more weighty, more obtrusive, more, more intense than anything. Others can do the exact same things. But he would say, you know, he would say, hey, do you have anything to eat? And open your fridge and immediately you'd be annoyed because that, even though you said to him, hey, help yourself. In fact, I, I seen that. I seen that in my house. This guy, he was at my house and. And um, somebody said to him, yeah, you know, make yourself at home. And he, he turned on the TV, and then that person came in the room and just said, make yourself at home. What are you doing? What, what are you turning the TV on if, if you don't know how it works? Hey, well, why does this guy, I'm thinking, why does this guy get so much abuse? He's not really doing anything different than anybody else would do, but somehow it raises the ire of people around him constantly. You know, is it really, are the things he's doing really that evil? No, they weren't. There's just different weight that comes with different personalities. It's unquantifiable. It's unmeasurable. But you know the difference between somebody who's, you know, invasive. I mean, not me, but I'm just standing in for those people that can get in your space. 
<laughs> but anyway, so he's this kind of guy. And I remember when the Lord first showed him to me and he said, you know, I, I looked at him, I thought, oh man, the church is going to eat this guy alive. I thought the church is not going to accept this guy. He's got a prophetic edge, but he's so fat-souled, it's crazy. Like he is, he is, you know, he's just like a bull in a china shop wherever he goes. No sense of self-awareness whatsoever. And uh, anyway, so, and the Lord whispers to me, he says, well, you know what to do. And I right away saw that 10 years ago, that was me. And he was saying, listen, take care of him. And, and so I began. I began walking with this guy. I was committed to him. So we had him in our house, and, and he, uh, he came, and he slept over. He ate with us. He, I mean, it was, and it was great. We did all things. But every couple of weeks, <laughs> he would have a little meltdown of some kind because something I wasn't doing righteously enough would tick him off and upset him. And then he'd say, oh, he didn't call for a week. Anybody have a relationship with that where somebody, they're like a slinky, they're, they're here and then they're not, and they're here and then they're not, they're here and then they're not. And, and, you know, my posture was always, listen, you're always welcome. My heart is always open to you because I've loved people a lot more difficult than you. And I have the maturity in my life to keep a steady stream, a continuum of love and availability to you. And, uh, you know, and so, but he, he didn't have that. He's like annoyed and annoyance men breaking off relationship. Not permanently, but for at least a week, week and a half, depending on the level of annoyance. <laughs> anyway, and, and he was always giving me little kingdom lectures of how I should be a better husband and father. And, of course, he was unmarried and had no children. <laughs> but anyway... The point is this, is that maturity, mothers and fathers spiritually that create relationship do so from a base of selflessness, from a base of long-suffering, from a base of humility where they're not needing to be served every minute of the day. And the tendency for those to depart relationship are those who are disappointed in the service you are offering them. This is why we're trying to, look at, we're the church. We're here to serve. That's why there are never church divisions, because everybody's here for the same reason, to serve. So anyway, are you guys still with me? All right, so the, the point is what God wants, is trying to get to do, and get you, us to do, and what he's working in your life is what are the triggers in you that would give you at least a temptation to break relationship? What are the things? Yeah, you know, and, and again, people, unsaved people, they have no clue about this stuff. They say, man, married, married 35 years, how did you do that? Like, how did you do that? Well, it's, you got to die. You got to lay down your agenda. You got to forgive. You got to you got to not trust your irritations. So let's talk about a political spirit, though, because a political spirit is that same dynamic, but on usually a higher level. What we're talking about, what we're moving towards, is overcoming something so that we can stay united. And if I if I graft out the, the, in a chart, 
the history of this church, what you essentially have is you have increased levels of the glory of God, which brings an increased level of the response of the kingdom of darkness. And it's okay because God is saying, listen, this is my program. This is my training program. I, I, I am doing this because, I, not because I don't know where you're at, but you don't know where you're at. Because in the, in the moments, you know, high moments of worship, like, wow, this is the greatest church ever. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many times people come to a church like this or other churches and they come in like, whoa, wow, there's a real presence here. And the, the beauty of that presence lasts between anywhere between three weeks and six months. And then all the irritations start to set in. It's kind of like a marriage. You got the honeymoon period, and then all the, you know, the honey-do lists of how, man, if this church would only fix this, this would be a great place. Yeah, and, and this too. And, and, of course, that one there, and, and this and that. That's the point. God doesn't want to fix the church. He wants to fix the deficit in your love. And it's amazing how unimportant certain things become when you learn to overcome When you overcome, people become less irritable, more beautiful, more wonderful, more enjoyable. It's like, you know, I'm thinking today, and I'm so thrilled to be a believer and to be at this stage I'm at in my life. I love the people of God. I love the church. I love that man. I love that man. I love these guys. I love you guys. I mean, when I I walk around and I, I look at you and I... You know, if I take in a couple extra seconds to look into your eyes, it's because I'm really enjoying you. I'm enjoying your soul. I'm enjoying. Because God has shed abroad something in my heart. But isn't this moment that, you know, it wasn't just a spiritual moment that came and, wow, suddenly now I can love. He had to excavate something else that was anti-love. And that thing, Paul says, is in me. Not out there, it's in me. So, here's what we have. We have this colossal, universal battle against a spirit of darkness that's trying to crush and destroy and enslave all of mankind. And he is, he is bringing people under his control because there are things in common inside of us that agree with him. And he pulls on those things. You know, this is why when Jesus was uh, rebuking Peter, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Even though it was Peter, he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. In other words, you are not inclined, you are not in favor, you are not disposed towards the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. What does that mean? Why, why would Satan be disposed towards the things that be of men? Because that's how he becomes your friend. That's how he creates intimacy with you, to identify with your pain, to identify with your bitterness, to identify with your disillusionment, to identify with your accusation, to identify with the things, the bitterness inside of you, to come along and say, yeah, I know, people are wicked, people are ugly, they're unredeemable, they're they're, they're it's a spirit that comes alongside and agrees with you. 
agrees with you, agrees with your pain, agrees with your accusation, agrees with your hatred, agrees with your impatience. Yes, of course, it's appropriate for that to be the last time you forgive. But you've already forgiven twice this week. Nobody deserves more than twice in a week. And that voice says, you are perfectly justified in writing that person off. That's the second time you said hello to them and they didn't greet you with equal amounts of enthusiasm. How dare they? Don't they know who you are? I know who you are. You are the most important person in the room. One day, everybody's going to realize how great you are. One day, everybody, when you walk in the room, everybody's going to go, oh. And it's right to look down your nose at anybody else who gets praise in advance of you because nobody should be more recognizable than you when you step into a room. That is a political spirit siding with you against the world and try to isolate you increasingly So it's you and him against the world. And all over the landscape of Canada, there are unfortunately not only people, but Christians who are locked into a world. They live in caves, separated from the family of God because a spirit, a political spirit, came along, whispered in their ear how much more honor they deserved and how much more recognition they deserved and said, yeah, it's because you're short that you didn't get that promotion at work. It's, that's why you're not the pastor. They don't know how how anointed you are, that you should be the leader, you should be on staff, you should be an elder. They've got an agenda that's demonic and ugly and wicked. You're right to honor, to expect a lot more honor. You, you should be the top guy in this club. Yeah. All of these things, you know, can be applied to so many different ways. But... but uh, the Lord is saying, listen, and I, I want to try and condense this. The Lord is saying there's something in you that is committed to yourself that needs to die. And Satan is happy to come along and side with your self-love because that's how he leverages in your life to separate you from those who would bring you higher. That's how he does it. And that's called a political spirit. It's creating a division. Whereas there weren't sides before, now suddenly there are sides. Oh, Father. Let's talk about this for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Just pray in, the, pray in tongues while I take a drink. Holy Spirit, for a spirit of revelation. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would do a work in this church, that you would give us the power of cohesion, the power of unity. God, that we, through long-suffering, love, kindness, and humility, would find a way to stick to each other and never let go. Hallelujah. Father, this is what we're leaning into. I'm going to be working my way towards Psalm 15, but let me talk about some of these issues because 
The question is, how, how does an issue become divisive? How, does, how, do, how do we decide which mountain we are going to die on in terms of, of you know, our integrity, our lack, you know, what, I've had enough. What marks that had enough point in your life when you're out of here? Okay. Is this somebody, you know, the church stealing your car? Or is it the pastor not talking to you sufficiently? Or you're not being invited to that group or that group or that group? We, you know, it's, it actually is quite dismal when you think about it. The regard we have for ourselves skews the world around us and causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and therefore we are entitled to more. Entitlement is the culprit, and the enemy feeds that constantly. But here's the thing. He still needs an issue. Still needs an issue. What is it that we can latch on to? So right now we're facing this issue of Masks and not masks. And as I look around the room, I see, I see both postures. And the enemy has charged this issue with demonic power in order to create a division. He has, he has I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it works. But I've just noticed down through the years in the church that issues suddenly out of nowhere become incendiary. They become explosive. And yes, yeah, last week they were a non-issue. And somehow this has become contentious and a problem. And it's usually around, you know, something benign. So church history, we've had divisions over whether we should have drums or not, whether we should take out the organ, whether we should have women serving communion, whether a woman can lead worship wearing jeans. You know, these are the battles that have been fought where people have left churches, where people have broken fellowship, where people have dishonored one another, because at the time, that issue became so important, it was more important that I guard my virtue around this issue and separate from my brother. Who do you think's behind that? A political spirit determined to leverage interests that you have, feeding into you a sense of self-importance, attaching to that issue an element of righteousness, an element of superiority, an element of, of spirituality that makes you the righteous one. But none of those issues... I mean, there were some be- people who were upset when we got rid of the pews in here. I, you know, I never heard about it, but others did. Everybody, some people like the orange carpet. Because this is where I, I had my first child, and it was orange in here, and it brings me back. I don't know what the rationales are, but there are many. But here's what the enemy does. He, he taps into something where you have some sort of vested interest and leverages that to create importance on an issue that's unimportant. He infuses an issue with a kind of 
kind of essence that makes it incendiary. It's like, wow, why is this suddenly so important to me? Why do I feel this enmity, this tension between this group and that group? Why? And then people are going around, well, what do you think about the orange carpet? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I really like it. Well, me too. Me too. Let's, let's, let's start praying. Father, in Jesus' name, we believe there's a demonic agenda to get rid of the orange carpet. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm using a foolish thing. But all of the issues are equally foolish when placed above unity, when given a premium value that is not being given in Scripture, that is not being given in eternity. Those issues are, are being wielded by a political spirit to create camps in order to rule over us. This is a battle. And the question is, can you stay united? So I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I was saying, saying you know, um, when I first went into the, the certain city, Edmonton, and they had the bylaw of masks, I went in there and I showed up in a store. I felt such hostility towards me. I, I felt such... You know, and I talked to another fellow in another city. He said, he said you know, I, I want to purposely not wear a mask so I can get used to opposition. I want to acclimatize myself to be under disfavor. You know, and, and, and that's probably a great skill to have. But here's the thing. When that thing comes in here, and suddenly there is tension between two brothers and, or sisters... And I feel like when you do this, you're judging me. And you feel when I don't do that, I'm judging you. That's a problem. Because that voice, that sound, that irritation, that hostility, that enmity is not coming out of nowhere. It's coming out of somewhere. And it reminds me of that scenario and always the same thing in the Star Wars movie. And I can't remember all the figures and all the persons and the names and the rest of that, but there's the Republic and there's the Rebellion. And what's happening is the Emperor, who's the Sith, who's really in that story represents Satan, he's feeding the division. And guess what? He's backing both sides. He's totally backing both sides because he doesn't care about this political option or this political option, what he cares about is solidifying his hold on the whole thing. And when people are distracted with lesser issues, they become victimized against. Against. Now I'm against you. And, and that spirit is like pulling puppet strings and, and, and touching your interests as it relates to this and speaking lies and deceiving you, pulling into the web of control. And we know what happens in the Star Wars, not trilogy, is sixology. But we know that, that that story is the story that's being played out. Political people, and I don't want to go into this too much, but there are political people in our midst Who's, who really have no dog in this fight, and they feed both sides because really what they want is they want to come out smelling like roses. 
What they want is they want to feed the dissension and then posture themselves as the moderator, the the innovator, the, the one who's the friend of both sides in order to put themselves on a pedestal. And we say here, there's no sides to be had. There are no sides to be had. There are no sides to be had. There is no righteousness associated with mask wearing or not mask wearing. There's no matter when you when that spirit says, well, don't you care? Oh, now the the manifestation of love is this. Used to be whether you wore jeans or a suit. Well, don't you honor God? How dare you come to church in jeans? Don't you care about God? And that was a powerful argument 40 years ago. And that divided people. And people would come in to the wrong church wearing jeans and would be, feel that same tension as you go in Costco not wearing a mask. They feel that same repulsion. They feel that same, I have to wear one, you should wear one too. And don't you care? Don't you want to honor God? Don't you want to bring, present your best to the Lord when you're worshiping? What are you doing? Come in here with jeans and holes in them? Come on. So a few years later, I went into a vineyard church wearing a, a suit. I, saw, I told some vineyard friends of mine one time, I said, you know, I never felt so ostracized and was so alienated in a Pentecostal church for wearing jeans as I was in a vineyard church for wearing a suit. What is that? That is a political spirit leveraging an unimportant issue in order to create camps, in order to rule over us, in order to pull us into subjection because the kingdom of heaven is released when I decide I am not leaving my brother's side. I will not pick up an accusation against my brother. I will not break ranks. I will not turn my back. I will not backbite. I will not gossip. I will not accuse. There is one accuser of the brethren who accuses day and night and it will not be me. That's the victorious church that does that. That's what it's, that's what's going to cause us to overcome. God is looking, say, look at this is the ultimate test. Unity is the ultimate test of your devotion to me, says the Lord. So let me read a passage passage. A little Yankee doodle dandy there. That's what happens when you go to Bible college in Texas. Learn all your biblical words. God's fixing to come down on us. So there's two, and I'm going to close with this. Uh, it's going to take a while, but I'm going to close with this. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> so there's two passages in uh, Psalms about, uh, about the high place. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? We know that one. That was, that's a great one. It's a very important one. Who shall ascend? And there's a particular criteria around the, the qualities that enable you to ascend. 
And the suggestion is if you don't have these qualities, you are impeded from ascension. And that's a reality. In our life, as we ascend to God's presence, as we are cultivating intimacy with God, there are certain things that keep us from his presence. For example, God resists the proud. God resists the proud. You, you are not given proximity. You, you come up against things as you're ascending in worship. I don't know why I can't touch this. Oftentimes in our lives, we suddenly, and the Bible talks about this, is a man's prayers are not heard because of the way he treats his wife. What do you call that? Not legalism. That's just Bible. So intimacy with God, answered prayer, revelation, the things that belong to the kingdom of heaven are available when we divest ourselves at different junctures where God says, okay, at this point in your life I'm dealing with this. And if you don't deal with this, you're not getting past this point. And so who shall ascend? Who can ascend? But here there's another verse, 15. It's not about ascension. Because when you ascend, when you go to Walmart, you you know you don't stay at Walmart. Unless you've got a camper and want to park in the parking lot, I guess. But, you know, you, you go and you come home. 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 But there's a promise to those who have overcome is that you will go out no more. Un- unimpeded, continuous access. And when it comes to heaven and eternity, let me tell you, the attraction, the center point, the pinnacle of glory will be right there closest to the Lord. And those who are rewarded with proximity will not go out because there's, this is the main show right here. And to have to leave that place is less. So the idea, the picture, the metaphor of ascending into that place, developing proximity as believers is not unimportant. But here's what he says. It's not just about ascension. It's about Verse 15, I mean, verse 1 of 15, Psalm 15. Lord, who may abide? Who may abide in your tabernacle? You know what abide means? That's about having a continual residence. Now, you say, well, if I get there, I'm not leaving. Yeah, but it doesn't work that way. Kind of like somebody with uh, ADD saying, I'm not going to lose concentration. Give it a whirl. (laughs) It's not that you're not allowed. You can't stay. You don't stay. I mean, you've heard that before. I remember I had that one revelation of this intimacy with God. And the thing that was over in my mind, I I thought, I've been here before. I've been in this place. This is absolutely unbelievable. Why do I ever leave? And the answer, uh, unknown to me at the time, was because you don't know how to stay. You do not have it in you to say, stay cohesively attached to God at this level of intimacy. So you visit this moment, then you retreat to a distance that's more comfortable to you. And your maturity, your training, is I want you to become more comfortable with a distance that's more proximate. So here's what it says. It says, Lord, who will abide in your tabernacle? This is important. Now, here's the criteria coming. How do we, what are the qualities that enable us to stay? Who will dwell in your holy hill? 
but predictably, here's some good ones. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Okay, all right, that's good. He who does not backbite with his tongue. Hmm. Backbite. Yeah, but he deserved it. Nor does evil to his neighbor. And here's the ones I want to focus on because they're so connected to to the political sphere. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. And he swears to his own hurt and will not change. I'm going to talk about that for a second. Father, I pray, God, right now, Lord, that you would uh, open up something in our lives that, Father, that, that will cause us to see that elements that we previously thought to be superficial are actually integral to our capacity to relate to you and release your kingdom on earth. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So here's, here's the scenario. When a person is being political, like politically minded people, in other words, people who have wisdom, understanding, who see the world as it is, they say, well, you know, if I... If I join with these guys, these guys aren't going to like me. And if I join with these guys, these guys aren't going to like me. So political souls, and I hate political uh, souls who operate in church, what they do is they never take sides but they uh, openly, but they secretly take sides all the time. And the side they always take is the one that's with them. And they take when you take a side like that, you're actually, and you're against somebody. It's one thing to take a side for righteousness; it's another thing to take a side against a person. So you can take a side for righteousness and yet not be against people. But on the other hand, the tyranny of this system is to take sides with people against other people. So your ability to stay united is could be measured in the animosity you have between between you and the other side. We could talk about that a lot. I hope I'm not confusing. Hope I'm not confusing you. But let me give you an illustration here. Where's my illustrators? Okay, here's my illustrators. Let me let me read the verse again. It says, uh, "Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised." So this here is Fred. Fred, say hi to Fred. Fred has a problem with me. He's annoyed with me. I parked in his spot more than once. You know, let, you know anyway. And, uh, and so he's, he's deciding that because of my position, my role, he, he, an accusation isn't enough. He needs... He needs a host of people to be against me to win this. That's what po- political people do: is they 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 create momentum on sides to get their way. So he's doing that, and he's wanting to get this guy to pick up the accusation. You know what? I went I went I went to Pastor Mark, and I I told him this thing. 
that, it, that he'd done that really hurt me, and he didn't care. He didn't care at all. He just told me it was my problem. He never cares about anything. It's probably happened to you too, right? I don't know. Like, man. As you can see, we didn't hire the best of actors. <laughs> so my friend is not going to... This guy, he's, he's, bringing, he's bringing a reproach against me, and he's trying to get him to side to pick up that reproach, to agree with the accusation. So what does this guy do, being the astute actor that he is? Say something. You didn't tell me I had lines. Yeah, you're supposed to use your imagination. It's like... I will never leave you or forsake you. What he said. So, so in other words, here's what happens is there's a spirit that's trying to create camps and they come to somebody to recruit you to be in their camp. And they're looking for, you remember that time when they did that to you? That's kind of, that's, isn't that wrong? You know, we, we need to, and they'll start, we need to pray for Pastor Mark. We need to pray for the boss because, you know, there's such an insensitivity and a lack of love there and could be demonic. So he says, no, I am not going to enter into the reproach that you're trying to to create here. You know what Jesus did? He became a reproach for us. And that's what this is. Actually, when he says no to him, what does his accusation, what does his animosity do? You're just like Pastor Mark. Yeah, right? And the reason, the reason why we side with an accusation is we don't want to take on the hostility of the one bringing the accusation. And it's even harder when, yeah, I felt neglected as well. But if you realize what's really happening, you say no. Now, here's what it says in the next verse. Okay, you guys can go down. Thanks. He does not take up reproach against his friend. You hear that? He does not take up a reproach against his friend. So what we're happening, and sometimes it's not people. Sometimes it's a spirit that have come to accuse. Say, he did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. You think, well, he did that thing, and how could he not know? How could he not know? You, you, and I, t- I tell you, it's amazing how often that happens. I remember years ago, I had this girl, and uh, she was in Bible college at Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas. We, we met, and as far as I know, this is the first time we met. And she said, yeah, we met before. We met before, and, and you said this, and... Then I said that, and I knew you were mad, and I said this, and then you said that, and I haven't looked at you, I haven't thought about, I've, I've hated you since. I thought, what's your name? <laughs> I don't know what imaginary conversation you feel you had with me, but I, I am not sharing that. I don't even remember you. But there's this accusation that comes and makes a case between brothers And a brother who wants to abide in the place of God understands that this is born of the fires of hell 
This is divisive. And it's trying to tap into my own disillusionment and disappointment, which I'm trying to kill, by the way. Thanks for inflaming my, my, my offense. But this is what he says. He goes on. And he says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised. So this guy who says, he, 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 his perspective is, you're trying to make that guy vile in my eyes, but I tell you what's vile in my eyes is what you're doing. Now the thing is, that can we do that? Can we do that when there's something in us that has a similar interest as what's contained yeah, I've been forgotten too. Yeah, I've been neglected too. Yeah, I've been taken advantage too. Yeah, I feel like I've been looked over too. Yeah, I feel like I'm more important than other people are telling me I am. Can you see how easy that is? So what do we want to do? Do we want to side with a spirit that savors the things that be of men? When Satan put those thoughts into Peter's head to resist Jesus' path. He's, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. You have jumped onto the interest. You've tied yourself into Peter's interests. And it's not that Peter's interests were overtly demonic. Why would Peter say, Jesus, don't die? Why would he say, because he's demonized? Because he hates him? No, because he loves him. He doesn't want to see him go. Soulish affection is the only portal necessary for an accusation to find rest. Soulish affection is the only thing necessary for a political spirit to begin to leverage you in one direction or another. So here's the victory. Can we keep our minds when the accusation comes? Can we, can we discern? Like I've entitled this discerning and silencing divisive forces. When somebody comes to divide you against your brother, what does the Bible say? It says, do not receive an accusation. Well, what if there's actually wrongdoing that's going on? Well, there's a way to resolve that, and it's quite biblical. And most people don't who are got a grudge, aren't following that criteria. But there's a great criteria for resolution when there's really abuses, when there's real, really sin, evil things going on. But we usually we're never talking about sin in most situations. We're talking about preferences. We're talking about annoyances. We're talking about differences of opinion, flavors, pref- you know, I like this kind of music. Why don't we do more of these songs? Where's the organ? Can we get some more cowbell? <laughs> so the Lord, let me, let me summarize this. So the Lord is saying, I have power I want to manifest in your life. But I have to test along the way your cohesive Ability, your ability to stay in covenant, your ability to stay with a brother or a sister in a marriage, in and 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 and, I am testing your ability to stay connected to your brother. That when that that demonic 
storm of winds of division that are fomenting in you, even creating dissension in your heart, even they make you want to... I mean, why did the, why did the, the armies of, of the Amalekites and the others, why did they suddenly turn their swords on each other? Because when, when, when the opposite camp is rising in power, what happens is your side implodes. So sometimes it's the enemy eating himself, consuming himself, but other times it's the church consuming itself. And the ones turning their daggers and their swords on one another are losing. And God is saying, I'm going to have a church. I am going to have a church that will not respond to reproach, that will not respond to accusation, that will not respond, that will not allow brothers and sisters to be demonized based on preferences, based on illegitimate criteria that have nothing to do with eternity. Now, I've talked about this again and again and again. I've talked about my journey in particular. But every one of us are having a journey because God is saying, listen, community church, I'm building something. I'm building a wine skid. And I'm building a wine skid because if you put new wine in an old wine skid, what happens? It bursts. It does not have the staying power because there are levels of wine. In, in the same way, there are levels of glory, and there's something coming, a glory, a weightiness. And God is testing people, groups of people all over the earth. He said, I'm going to drop this in the midst of you, okay? And I'd, I'd love to explain the dynamics of how this happens, but the question is, can you contain, can you hold that glory? Can, because when glory comes, you become more significant. And when a church becomes more significant, do you suddenly want a bigger piece of the pie? Do you suddenly resent, resent those that are in authority in that place and think you could do a better job and start making a list as to why you should be the pastor, why she, you should be the elder, why she, you should be more significant? Father, I pray. I'm, I'm going to stop right there. God is coming to the earth. Lord, I pray today... We're asking the Lord right now, God, do in us what needs to be done today. You know, years ago, uh, Gaylene and I had a, had a, a, a real, I don't even know exactly where we got it from, okay? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether we uh, made it up, if you will, or not. But it was a commitment that we were prepared to make um, in, in a fairly serious, deliberate fashion to one another and then to various ones when God laid it on our hearts and I, I just want to walk through it with you for a moment and, and I would not ask you to do this directly lightly I would only ask you to consider it to pray about it to have the Holy Spirit minister to your heart because this this is a covenant this goes beyond a contract this, this is a covenant and, and I got to tell you how deep this is um, I've done this, for instance, with Ken and I. I've done this with Pastor Mark probably 15 years ago. And it works like this. I promise that I will not speak evil of you. I promise that I will not listen to evil being spoken of you. 
if I have an issue with you, I will come and see you about it. If I find myself for some reason unable to do so, I will bring one other. That's my promise before God. The commodity that can sustain the glory of the Lord is love. Worked out in the heat of relationship. We can't say we want the glory of the Lord and yet have to continuously withdraw from brothers and sisters in relationships because we, are, we have so much pain, so much inability to stay connected that we leave every significant relationship that we have. Cohesion is going to host the presence of God. And I believe God is about to give a major upgrade to places around the earth that are walking in covenant, are walking brother to brother, sister to sister. He said, listen, I'm going to pour something out. He said, how, how beautiful it is. It's like the oil running down the beard of Aaron. It's like the dew that falls on Mount Hermon. There the Lord commands the blessing. Life forevermore. He's wanting to command a blessing on a group of people. Life forevermore. But he needs the covenant first. He needs the skill of relationship. Let's stand up together. I should make one thing clear. On Wednesday night this last week, Pastor Chris came in this room and he was wearing a mask and large numbers of people were not wearing a mask and he felt the same ostracization that I felt for not wearing a mask. And so I want us to know that the enmity goes both ways and I want that to be clear because what we're trying to do is saying mask or no mask, you are my brother, you are my sister. I will not lift up an accusation. I will not pick up the reproach against you. I will not be divided from you. I bless you. I honor you. I love you. I choose to walk with you, mask or no mask. We are not going to allow that spirit of division to come in here and separate separate brothers from sisters and we're not going to let it happen. The reason that there is a presence here is because we have chosen to walk in covenant. Because we have chosen to resist the accuser of the brethren. And we will continue to resist the accuser of the brethren. And we will own our irritations. And we will own those things that causes, that come from inside that cause us to want to pick up an accusation or approach. We're going to repent. We're going to deal with that. We're going to not turn our hearts away from our brother's father. Open up something in his body that enables us to host you and to host the hurting and the wounded. Lord, to host anybody and everybody that's longing to be accepted, that's longing to walk in relationship. Father, oh, we say... We will not tolerate the spirit of division. We will not tolerate the enmity that rises up, whether it's from our hearts 
or the voice of a brother or sister, we will not side with it. We will not accept it. Lord, do what only you can do. Open up. Open it up. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for our brothers to the south. Lord, we ask, God, for a spirit of peace, that peacemakers would rise up, that, God, believers all across the United States would set the pace in terms of godliness, in terms of love, in terms of generosity, in terms of goodwill. Father, we say, Lord, let that, let that commodity of goodwill come to the United States this week, even as the angels announced with Jesus coming and said, peace and goodwill be to men. Lord, we say peace to our neighbor and goodwill to the United States of America. God, we contend for their blessing. We say, Lord, peace, 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 peace in Jesus' name. So if you need to go, feel free to be dismissed. Otherwise, let's continue for a bit.